Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Good evening, everyone. So tonight I want to talk to you guys about something that's really close to my heart, close to how I think and how I see the world and something that really affects a lot of the decisions I make and and the ministries that I lead here at church. And so tonight I want to talk to you about what it looks like to become a father. And I know when I say that, there's a few people that look at Lydia. (laughs) No, (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. But thanks. Um, but I want to encourage you that if, if when you think of a father or a mother, you think of someone who is, who is birthed, well, not the father, but has, has a child per se, then I want, I want to encourage you that there's, there's a greater perspective of how God made the kingdom to work and some principles within that, that when you mention the word father, there's a lot of other implications that are going on there, not just people who have their own children. When I was younger, I used to think uh, I used to think a lot like very simple as as a lot of us did. And you know, at school you had your teacher, and they were your teacher, and they were a teacher. Uh, my primary school teacher was Mrs. Smith, and she was Mrs. Mrs. Smith inside of school, and she was Mrs. Smith out of school. She didn't have a first name, she didn't have a life. She was just a teacher. That's who she was. And I know that was the same for most people here. But then you meet them out outside of school, and you just you don't even know them. You're like, what? Mrs. Smith, you know, you ask them what their first name is and your world has changed when you find out her first name is Sally and you're like, who is this person? So, so, so initially when I grew up, I'd see things as they were. People would say, um, I'm a policeman. I'm like, okay, they're a policeman. People say that I'm a teacher. It's like, okay, you're a teacher. People will say that, yeah, I'm a father. I have some children or I'm a mother. But as I got older, I began to see there's other things actually going on. There's other actual functions that people are operating in that may not necessarily identify with their title that they're walking in. And what I mean by that, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, in work situation, those who have entered the workforce, you'll have situations where you have a supervisor who is responsible for some staff, but some of those staff don't respect the supervisor. So when the supervisor asks them something to do, they don't do it. Because although he's a supervisor of them by title, he's not actually functioning as a supervisor. And same with a mother or a father. You can have a mother or a father. You can have that title as a mother or a father. But my question is, are you actually functioning as a mother or a father? We don't have to look or, or, or think too far to, to see someone who has, has a mother or father somewhere, but the mother or father is not quite functioning within that role. So tonight, as I talk to you about what it looks like to be a father, and I'm also going to talk like what it looks like to be a mother, because both those roles um, transpond very, uh, as, a, as a whole, what it looks like to be a mother looks very similar to be a father. There are differences, but, but as a, a generalized statement, they are very similar. And so as I talk about that, I want to talk about it from the sense of what is the actual function you're walking in? And what do I mean by that? I mean, how is the world around you actually experiencing you? Not how you think you're affecting the world, but how are you actually affecting the world? How are you actually affecting the people you work with, your friends at school, the friends at youth group? How are you actually affecting the world around you? And what might it look like for you to grow into a mother or a father? 
I'm not talking about becoming a mother or a father by birth, but I'm talking about becoming a mother or a father by character, by consistency, by faithfulness, by, gen- by generosity, by servant-heartedness, laying down your life as a mother or father for the generation coming after you. I'm going to share out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's a church in which was planted in Corinth, and Corinth was a city that was well known for the sin that was going on, and the church of Corinth was a very gifted church. That's where we get the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. So whilst it was a really gifted church, there was a lot of bad stuff going around that was trying to get in there, and Paul was speaking into this church, and he says in chapter 4, verse 14 to 15, He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So what he's doing, he's contrasting something of low value with something of high value. He's saying, even if you have 10,000 of these, you do not have many of these, and these are a lot more important. So even if you have 10,000 likes on Facebook, but you do not have many friends, that's a problem. One friend is worth more than 10,000 likes on Facebook. So he's contrasting these two things, a guardian and a father. He's saying even if you have 10,000 guardians, you do not have many fathers, and that's an important deal. So what is guardian? The, the word guardian there is the Greek word paidagogos, paidagogos. And that is translated guardian, tutor, instructor, or teacher. And... Uh, I put there, they're kind of like a full-time babysitter. They were people who were assigned to look after young men. And these young men, the boys, were not allowed to so much as leave home without being under the supervision of these guardians, of these teachers, of these instructors. And what, what I want you to understand, like, you can be a teacher and you can be mothering people and fathering them. But what he's saying here, these teachers, these guardians are not mothering them. They are not fathering these children. That's why he's contrasting them. So he's talking about people who think they have all the answers but aren't willing to do the journey with you. People who are happy to pass on information but are not willing to step in the ring with you. People are willing to tell you what, they, what you should do but they're not willing to love you through it. He's speaking about a guardian. And then the other word there, father, there's three ways which you can translate that word. Pata, pater. It's Greek. <laughs> Uh, There's three ways you can translate it. One is is Father God. And we understand he's not speaking about Father God in this context because he says you do not have many fathers and we all know we only have one Father in Christ. We know he's not talking about father by birth because we know that there were fathers at that time, that they 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 did exist because obviously kids were there. And he's not talking about that because the problem is not there's not fathers by birth, but he's speaking instead which is the third way where you can translate this word, it's a father by function. He's saying even if you have 10,000 guardians, teachers, instructors willing to pass on information, you do not have many fathers, people functioning in a role as a father. You do not have many people who, who are functioning in a role as a father. And he says, but I became your father through the gospel. 
And then we say, I became the, your father. I entered the function of being your father through the gospel. And what he's saying there is, I have turned my heart towards you. I have turned my love towards you. And I am going to serve you regardless of whether you want that or not. Because I'm stepping into the role and function as a father. What Paul is saying here, even if you have 10,000 people around you who think they know the answer, you do not have many people who are willing to walk that answer out with you. You do not have many fathers and you do not have many mothers. My question for you tonight is who in your life is positioning their heart around you as a father and mother towards you? Who can you identify in your life who's actually functioning as a father and mother in your life, who's turned their heart towards you and said, hey, I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to love you regardless if you do what I, if you do what I tell you. Regardless if you take this information I give and use it, I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to choose you. I want you to take a moment and think, who is someone in your life who has turned their heart towards you and says, I want to father you and I want to mother you? Do you know how to recognize a father or a mother figure around you? If I were to summarize it, I would say a father or mother functions and operates with the primary value of seeing those around them, those that God has placed in their hand. Sorry, let me say that again. Fathers and mothers operate with a primary value of serving those God has placed in their hands. So a father or mother operate with the primary value of not selfish gain, but selfless servanthood to serve those around them. A mother or a father is functioning as a mother or father when they're living their life in such a way that their primary value is serving those around them, serving their children, whether it's natural children or spiritual children. I was having a a conversation with a friend in Auckland the other week. He's a pastor up there. He's also an electrician and he's just retraining to get his ticket because his daughter is about to go to school and he really wants to send her to the school that he thinks is going to be really good for her, but it costs a bit more money. So he's retraining so that he can work as an electrician on his Friday and his Saturday, which for a pastor, that is theoretically their, their weekend. So he's retraining to work for his five-year-old daughter so that he can give her the best chance. He is functioning as a father because he's choosing to live sacrificially. He's choosing to live below where he could live in order to serve this daughter that God has given him. He is functioning as a father in her world. Do you know how to recognize a father or mother figure around you? The challenge is not every person is willing to do this. Not every person is willing to live sacrificially in order to, to raise up those around them. And I was at a, at a till the other day and just chatting with the lady behind the till. And for some reason, we we're talking about children. And she said that she didn't want to have children. She said, I know it's a bit selfish, but that's just what I, what I want. And I just like, ah, like there's something wrong with that. Obviously, there's something wrong. It's, it's a very unnatural thought for a young woman to have. Uh, it's generally come from, uh, we, we, when we face a disappointment, sometimes we choose to close off that option in order to never face that disappointment again. Sometimes when we go through a trial or a disappointment, we remove that option and we no longer require us to live with hope. And now we no longer have to face that disappointment. So obviously there's that going on. But also I felt like, ah, I just really felt like she was just missing it. You know, like she actually thought it was selfish to not have kids. 
And I actually reckon there's actually something, something a bit like missing. I think she's actually selling herself short in that moment because I think there's a joy which she doesn't understand that when you sow yourself into someone, when you lay down who you are, live below what you could live at and give that to someone else in order to raise them up and you see them walk in life, there's a joy you experience that money cannot buy you. That, that being able to make all the choices on your own because you're not dependent upon kids cannot buy you a sort of joy that, that you can experience when you see your kids walk in truth, walk in life. There is this amazing international speaker called Danny Silk, and he was sharing the story once how uh, he had this these Christian couple when he was younger, and he wanted to go to university, and university in America is a little different to here. One, you can't just borrow all the money and go to any university you want in the country. You have to like finance it a bit more yourself. You have to apply for scholarships, and it costs a whole bunch more. And so Danny really wanted to go to university. And anyway, there was this Christian couple who saw him, who believed in him, and they said, hey, we want to support you through this. And so they paid a whole chunk of his university fees all through, or four or five years. I can't remember if he did a master's over there. But he did his degree, and they sewed into him the whole way, paying for his tuition. And that's a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars. <clears throat> and then at the end of all Danny's studies, after four or five years, uh, he got offered a pastoral role, and he wasn't studying church ministry or anything like that. I can't remember what the degree was he was studying. But he got offered this role to pastor a church in Weaverville, and he really felt God on it, so he accepted the role. But he was really nervous to tell this, um, he was really nervous to tell this Christian couple that he had decided to accept this role because he had, they'd really sewn into him, you know, like I can't remember if it was like psychology or something, they'd sewn thousands and tens of thousands of dollars into his life so he could get the psychology degree, he's got the psychology degree and then his perspective, he's walking away from that to serve, to serve in a church and he was really nervous to tell them and, but when he told them, they said to him, sorry, <laughs> they said to him, if, if anything we have done has is, is helped you to step into your calling that God has called you to be, if anything we have done has helped you walk out God's purposes in your life, then we will be blessed. Then we will be blessed because they realized that, that it was their joy to sow into them. There was their joy to live below what they could have lived at in order to enable someone to pursue their purposes in Christ. 1 John 1 4, this is the true secret. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I'm not going to be politically correct and say, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are just walking. No, actually, like walking in truth is actually really important. And it's not truth like, yeah, you believe what I believe, like that sort of prideful thing. But truth, we're talking about truth, the person, Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And Jesus, John 10, 10, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. And there's no greater joy than seeing your children walking in the abundance of the life that Jesus paid them for, paid for. That they're not shortcutting themselves, they're not second, um, they're not picking the second best, they're not living a life where they're, where they're restricting themselves to their fears and their insecurities, but they're actually stepping out and becoming everything God has made them to be. They're walking in the truth that Jesus paid them to walk in and they're experiencing the abundant life. There is no greater joy than that, than seeing your children walking in the truth. In Hebrews 12 too, it says that, 
that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And that joy, I believe, was the joy of seeing his children walk into the kingdom, walk into truth, that he was willing to endure the the cross because he could see the joy coming. As a loving father, he could see the joy of watching his kids walk into the kingdom, embrace the abundant life, come alive, walk away from sin, walk away from these things that are pulling themselves, the deception, and walk into the abundance of the kingdom. That was the joy that was set before him, that he was willing to be nailed for a cross, that he was willing to live a sacrificial life in order to raise up those around him. So what, what is being a mother or father? It is taking love unconditionally and aiming it at someone. Being a mother or father is taking love and unconditionally aiming it at someone. Unconditionally aiming love at someone. I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. It says, love is patient. That means someone has to be testing you and testing your patience for you to love them patiently. Love is kind. Someone has to be unkind to you for you to love them. You have to point your love towards someone unconditionally so that when they're unkind to you, when your child, your daughter, or your, the person you're sowing into walks away from what you felt like they should have done, you still keep your love on them. And you say, I love you and I will serve you and I will believe in you regardless of how you behave. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is turning your honor towards someone and not turning it off, even if they turn theirs off towards you. Even if they shame you publicly, you stand there and you honor them. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That means someone's got to wrong you to keep no record of it. Someone's got to wrong you to keep no record of it. And a mother and father is willing to keep no records. They're willing to love their son or their daughter unconditionally. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth because often the truth isn't easy to hear. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. One of the greatest examples in my life was uh, my father. When I was younger, I wasn't a Christian, wasn't following the Lord, and was in a time in my life where I had um, disowned him and walked away and hadn't spoken to him for a few months, and I'd moved out of home. And um, we were out one night with a friend, and we are on the hill, and anyway, he starts to cry, which is really weird in my social circles to have a male cry. And he, because he just had hurt so many of his friends and he really felt to apologize to them, which is a very different concept in that world where I was coming from. And so he went to my friend's house at 2 a.m. in the morning and he went into the friend's house to, to apologize to him. And while I was sitting in the car there, I just began to think about the last two months and then and before that time with my dad and how I just pushed them away from me and I just thought it was so, like there was so much anger in me. Like it was, it, I couldn't understand it then, but it was demonic. It was, I was blind to who my father was to me and I just pushed them away. I'd given him absolutely nothing and he had done nothing but love me. But in that moment, I was, I was slightly intoxicated and I was a bit moved and so I flicked him a text at 2 a.m. in the morning just saying, hey, um, sorry for being a not good son. And then I didn't think much of it because I obviously thought he'd be asleep because that's what dads do. And anyway, my phone beeped a couple of seconds later and I read this text. 
and keeping in mind that the that I had not spoken to him in several months, and when I moved out, uh, he stood there with my mum because I tried to sneak out, load my car and go, but then they caught me. And now standing there, and I hug my mum goodbye, and um, and then she's like, "Say goodbye to your dad." And I just like stood there, and I could feel like everything. There was a son in me like fighting. To, to say goodbye to him, but my pride inside me was like, no. And I didn't even look at him in the eye. I just turned around and got in my car and drove away. That was the last interaction I had with him. And so I texted him at 2 a.m. saying, I'm sorry. And he sent a reply back straight away saying, Joshua, ever since the first day I held you in my hand, and that got me, you know, <laughs> like I could actually be held in a hand. I was actually a person then. I have and I will always love you. And he positioned himself as a father. And he said, regardless of how you treat me, regardless of what you do to me, I will love you. I will turn my love towards you and it's not turning off. That's what it looks like to be a father. And that's what it can look like to be a mother. Not every person understands this. You can be married with kids and not understand this. You can be married with kids and not understand what it is to be a father to love your children, what it is to be a mother to love your children. And, and, you, and you can end up sell, selling yourself short your whole life because you can get to the stage of being a grandparent and yet you've never actually been a father. And I know many of us here will have seen this. But I just real briefly, like a real brief generalization, if you don't fit into this, it's okay, it's a generalization. You're not failing at life. You have your own timeline with God. But a real brief generalization, when you're born, the world revolves around you, amen? The world revolves around you. And then when you become a teenager, you start, your brain just explodes, like everything changes and you're like, wow, wow, wow. And then when you become a young adult, you begin to establish your identity, like who actually am I? Like, I think this is actually who I am. And then at some age, around 30 or total generalization, you, begin, you know who you are and you begin to actually establish your, your legacy in others. You actually begin to serve those around you. You actually begin to function as a mother or father. But unfortunately, some people never quite get to that stage. They're not able to make that transition into serving others as a primary focus. And this is what we often see as a midlife crisis. As people hit a point where, where they can be married, they can have kids, and they hit this point where, where they're like, what about me? Like they never actually owned the decision to serve others. They just had to because they got someone pregnant. They just had to try function as a mother or father and they never actually owned that decision. They never actually became that. And so at the age of 30 or 40 or however old they are, they have a midlife crisis and they walk away from the family. They buy a motorbike, they go travel, they buy a nice car because they're still living in that young adult's era. They're still living for themselves. They haven't been able to transition into the next season. Some people sell themselves short. I've seen people get to the title of granddad or grandfather and have never functioned as a mother or father. And I know many people have seen it. And one indicator, you can tell that someone is, function, is not functioning as a mother or father or never has functioned as a mother or father is the greatest things they possess are memories. The greatest thing uh, uh, someone who has never become a mother or father will possess is memories. And it's really sad to me when I see a grandfather or grandmother and they're 70 years old and, and the greatest thing they have is the memories from when they were 30 or 40 for when they went on this trip here or something there. 
Like it upsets me because I feel like they missed out on life. Because the greatest memories for me when I'm 70, it's not going to be my memories. It's going to be my kids. It's going to be the people I sowed into. It's going to be the people I laid down my life for and have seen them walk into truth and running in that truth. That is going to be the greatest joy for me at that time, not my memories. And I tell you, that couple that sowed, in, that sowed into Danny Silk, the greatest joy in their life is not their memory of a, of a trip to Los Angeles or something. The greatest thing in their life is watching Danny Silk transform other people's life. Not only walk in truth himself, but invite other people into that truth. The greatest joy you'll experience is seeing your children, whether physical or spiritual people, you sow your life into walking in the truth. So how do you become a mother or father? How do you become a mother or father? The first step and the most important step that you cannot exclude is that you must become a son or a daughter. You must become a son or a daughter. If you, if you try to become a mother or father without ever becoming a, a son or daughter, you undermine your ability to father and love people because you have no source. You have no connection. You're, you're functioning as an orphan. You're functioning as an orphan. It doesn't matter if you're born an orphan. That doesn't make you an orphan. It's how you're functioning. And if you, if you never allow yourself to become a son or a daughter, then you're always going to be limited to an orphan-like function. And if you're functioning as an orphan, you're only going to raise up other orphans. So the first step to becoming a mother or father is becoming a son or a daughter. It's choosing to submit yourself to someone functionally, not just, oh, it's my dad. Once a year, I get him a present. You know, it's actually choosing to functionally submit yourself as a son or as a daughter and saying, I actually want you to influence my life. I actually don't want to make a decision without having your input on it. And this begins with God. This begins with a relationship with God, submitting our lives to Him and choosing to walk this life with Him. But it also carries on with submitting our lives to those around us, people that God has placed in our lives to speak into us. I'll tell you, if you want to look around and you see the people whose lives are transforming the most and the fastest, you'll see them in submission to God and to people. If you want to see people who are transforming the fastest and the most, they are people who have placed themselves in submission. They've said, I trust you. I'm not going to make all the decisions on my own. I'm not taking everything under my control. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not placing myself in a function of an orphan and stumping my growth. I'm choosing to submit my life in trust to God and those He's placed in my life, and therefore they will transform. They will transform and they will grow. The first step and the most important step to becoming a, a, a father or mother is to become a son and you, or daughter, and you never graduate from that. You never graduate from being a son or daughter. You can grow into a father or mother, but you always remain a son or a daughter. And as Matt Lansdowne taught the other week, it doesn't matter what pressure comes on you, whether you have 10,000 people expecting you to perform a miracle, which is really a lot of pressure because you can't perform miracles like that. God can through you. But that's a lot of pressure. But regardless of how much pressure is on you, you always have the invitation as a son or a daughter to lean back and be like, Dad's got this. That you can actually lean back into them. It doesn't mean you don't take responsibility for your actions or your life. No, you do. But you take responsibility through the lens of trust. You take responsibility of your life through the lens of trust that you actually trust in God. You're trusting God, Mackenzie, to provide you for a job, but you also hand out your CV. 
You know, you actually take responsibility, but it's through the lens of the trust. It's not your responsibility to get a job. It is your responsibility to pursue what God's asking you to do. And if it's handing out a CV, it's handing out a CV. So you never graduate from becoming a son or a daughter. And you, you know when you've submitted yourself to someone, when your default becomes, starts to become their default. You know you've submitted yourself to someone when your default starts to become like their default. When you start to say their phrases, when you start to stand like them, when you start to talk like them subconsciously, you're not thinking about it, but all of a sudden you're speaking like them. You know you're being influenced by someone when you place yourself in submission to someone, when you subconsciously start to look like them. I had um, a friend over in America, she went over to the school I studied at, and at the beginning of the year they have a retreat, and my pastor who I served for two years over there uh, was speaking, and this friend messaged me saying, hey, your pastor was speaking tonight, and she just, she totally reminded me of you, she like, like she even looked like you. And I know, I know what she was really saying was that actually I look like her because I placed myself in submission to her, so I began to look like her. And the fruit that was on her life, the freedom that she was setting people free of around her is starting to happen around my life because I placed myself in submission to her life. You know you're in submission to someone when they're starting to influence you subconsciously, when you're starting to look like them without your will. I have to intentionally try not take, I get influenced quite easily, I've found. And so I have to intentionally learn to not adopt certain phrases. There's one thing, Blake Pope has uh, one, of the most, one of the most lavish gifts of influence. And he just seems to have this grace to just influence anyone, regardless of whether you're 50 or 12, you can just be influenced by him. And he used to have this habit of, before he spoke, every time he'd go... <laughs> And he was about 13, and I was the youth pastor, and I think I was 22 or something, 23. And um, I, I was at home, and I was talking to my sister. I was like, and I was like, stop it. <laughs> She's like, Blake Pope does that, and it's not a good talking technique. <laughs> you have to still own who you are. And secondly, you become a son or a daughter, and then you choose to aim your love unconditionally at someone else. You choose to aim your love unconditionally at someone else. Now, love is a choice. It always was a choice and always will be a choice. If I were to pass away and I have like a donor thing on my license and someone got my heart, like that's a really good deal. Like they'd be pretty happy, but it's not love. But if my sister needs a heart tra transplant and I choose to lay down my life so that she can have my heart, that's love. You understand that? It's love because it's a choice. And so uh, one time I just changed this whole verse of the, the, love, the love verses in 1 Corinthians 13. And I just inserted the word choice there. And so I'm just going to read this, and I want you to be thinking, this is what it looks like to be a mother and father to people around you. It looks like to, to walk out these, these uh, attributes of love by choice. So love is choosing to be patient. Love is choosing to be kind. It's choosing to not envy others when they get that job you really want or that girl you really liked. 
Love is choosing to not boast. It's choosing to not be proud, but choosing rather to walk in humility. It's choosing not to dishonor others, rather to honor them regardless of their actions. Love chooses to be selfless. It chooses to stand in a room and say, how can I serve someone around me? Love chooses to be selfless. Love chooses to not get angry. Frustration is compulsory in this life. Here's the, this is the order which Dave Riddell taught, which is very much appreciated. It goes from frustration into anger, into rage, into violence. Frustration is compulsory in this life. Every step past that is optional. So when you get frustrated, that's part of life. But anger is an option. And love is choosing to not partner with anger. Love is choosing to take that energy, that frustration that is welling up in you and redirect it towards a desire for a solution. It's choosing to not go down the path of angerness, angriness, but choosing to pursue an answer with that frustration. Frustration is compulsory. Anger is optional. Love is choosing not to get angry. Love is choosing not to keep a record of wrongs when you have been wronged. Love is choosing not to delight in evil, not to let your heart come alive when we watch. Like, like there's this phrase, I think Clark Alcock may have said it at Grace 15 years ago. I only heard about it, never in person. But he said, sometimes we entertain ourselves with the things that Christ died for. And love, love is choosing to not delight in evil to delight in moments where people's value has been stripped away and recorded and played out in front of the world for financial benefit. It's choosing to not delight in evil, but instead choosing to rejoice in truth. That in that moment, we're like, dang, maybe I actually shouldn't watch that anymore. Maybe that's actually not, not actually producing life in my life or the life of those in that show. And it's actually sitting in that moment, actually rejoicing in that truth that, I'm actually stepping more into light. You see, it's actually challenging to walk into truth because for you to step into truth, you have to step out of darkness. You have to step out of deception. If you didn't step out of deception, you didn't step into truth. And to step out of deception is to humble yourself and realize you got it wrong. You weren't actually seeing clearly. It's very humbling. And so love is choosing to rejoice in that moment when you realize you've been getting it wrong for your whole life. It's choosing to rejoice in that moment. Love is choosing to protect. Love chooses to trust when people break your trust. Love chooses to hope when all you see in front of you is hopelessness. Love is choosing to preserve and love never fails. It may trip, it may fall, but love always chooses to get back up because it never fails. It never fails. To become a father or mother, you're required to to first become a son or a daughter, and second, to turn your love towards someone unconditionally. And just in closing, I just want to give an invitation to anyone here, if you've never actually become a son or a daughter of God, you've never actually walked in relationship with Father God, you've never actually submitted your life to Him and said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Saviour, that, that that joy that's set before Him, that you haven't actually walked into that joy, that you haven't actually given your life to Him and welcomed His life into yours. I just want to give you that opportunity. So I'm just going to ask everyone if you're comfortable just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to give that invitation. If you're in this room and you've never given your life to the Lord, you've never entered into a relationship with God where you have become a son or a daughter of your Creator, 
then I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. If you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never laid it down for him, then I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. I'm just going to bless it and you can put it back down. I see that hand. Bless you. If anyone else is in here and you say, I've never made Jesus my Lord and my Saviour, but tonight I want to, I just encourage you to raise your hand. I'm going to bless it and you can put it back down. I see that hand. God bless you. Okay, we're just going to take a moment. I see that hand. God bless you. And we're just going to pray together as a family. So if you're in this room, I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Father God, I repent of my ways and my past. I hand it to you. I hand everything that I was to you. And I receive everything that you are in my life. I receive my identity as a son slash daughter, to say your word, that I am beloved, that you were willing to lay down your life for me. And I choose to make you my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Come into my heart. Teach me and guide me. And may I walk this life with you, in relationship with you. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give those guys a hand? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, someone's going to come around and just chat with you and just pray for you um, and just really bless you and just encourage you as you begin this journey. But we're just going to bring the service to a close there. But we are going to have some people up the front here who are, who are already beginning to grow in, in their function as a mother or father. And I really want to just encourage that there are some people in here that, that as I spoke, your heart came alive. You, you, you started to resonate with that joy that is available, that joy that's available, that, that comes when you lay down part of who you are in order to raise someone else, else up. And you say, I, I want to walk in that. I want to begin to walk in the function as a mother or father. We're going to have people up here who are going to be, uh, who would love to just pray for you and would love to bless you as you begin that journey. Is that all right? And these guys are just going to play in the background and we're going to have some ministry time. So you're welcome to stay in here and continue to soak or come up the front and just worship God a bit. Otherwise, you're welcome to head out back and grab a coffee. Um, and also, we're going to Little Height, 8.30. You're totally welcome to come along to that. But other than that, I'm just going to close that service. I might just pray for everyone, though, before we do. So, Jesus, we just thank you that you came. We thank you that you, you gave up your life for us, Lord, that we may be raised up with you. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower every person in this room to be a son or a daughter and to grow into a mother or father. That every person in this room will get to experience the joy of seeing their children walk in the light. Seeing people who they lay down their life for walk in their purposes, their God-given, designed purposes. See them walking the abundant life. I pray that every person here will get that revelation in their heart that there will be a seed drop in your spirit spirit, then when you walk out of this room, you see people differently, that you see them differently, that your love is now turned on unconditionally, that even in moments when your love is tested, there is a Father who has more love for you. 
and you can pass that love on. And I pray that every person here will get that revelation in the name of Jesus. Amen.